Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Ryan Kelly. Ryan Kelly currently works at practice sales as a practice sales consultant at Practice Exchange. When he was growing up, sports were his world. He loves competition. He tried to implement his passion for winning into his career. In 2017, Ryan graduated from Quinnipiac University with a Master of Business Administration degree. Upon graduating, he began working at Practice Exchange. Practice Exchange specializes in helping optometrists and dentists transition and sell their practice. Their firm has helped over 3,000 doctors transition their practice. In early 2000, I'm sorry, in early 2020, Ryan earned um, his Rhode Island real estate salesperson license and began working as an agent for Trust Hill Brokerage. His goal is for Practice Exchange to become a nationally recognized brand in the medical industry and eventually go public. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, just so people can get to know you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, where you started out, and how you got to be doing what you're doing now. All right. Um, well, that, that intro was awesome, first off. And um, yeah, so what, what happened with me was I went to college at um, Quinnipiac University, um, and I got my MBA there. And um, towards my end of my you know, academic career, I was kind of considering my options, whether or not I would go, you know, I was leaning towards going to work in like corporate America, quote unquote, corporate America, um, like for a big company in a big city. Um, but then actually my father presented me with an opportunity to do a startup. Um, he had, he had come across, a, he had partnered up rather with um, an individual named Peter Almonte who, who sold dental and optometry practices. And, um, you know, my father had got involved with it and then, uh, he kind of wanted to blow it up. So kind of, I came on board along with two other, two other, two other individuals. And, um, that was in 2017 and we've been kind of going at it ever since. And yeah, you touched on it. We help dentists and optometrists, um, sell their practice, but we don't use it. The word sale, we use the word transition because the whole art of selling like a medical practice that we can get into later is you transition it and, um, rather than sell it. It's not a one moment bang, it's over. It's a slower process. But uh, yeah, that's a little background about me and what we do. And uh, again, yeah, I did get my real estate license. So I do help people buy and sell houses on the side. And um, I actually work for a company that's a national, you know, their national brand, so. Mm -hmm. So you said growing up that you really were into sports. What did you play? Oh, I was a basketball player. I was a hooper. Okay. Um, the problem was I wasn't very fast and I couldn't jump very high. So uh, my career was kind of short lived. <laughs> <laughs> and then going into college, what were you thinking that you were going to do when you started that business major? Um, to be honest with you, probably the stock market. Uh, maybe I was one of those kids who kind of thought about going to Wall Street, dreamed about working on Wall Street. but. Um, you know, honestly, I don't really like New York City that much, but I do like the idea of working on Wall Street. Um, but that kind of that that dream kind of faded as I got older. So then at that point, I really had no idea by the end of college. So I was open to anything. And um, I don't really like the idea of working for somebody else as much as working for myself. Mm, that makes sense. 
So tell me about starting up a new company. Well, so to clarify, it wasn't a, a cold start. It was, an, it was a company that was only selling optometry practices and it, was, it went by the name of National Eye Care Transitions Group. We kind of rebranded it and started and brought in selling dental practices as well. Um, so that's kind of how that, so it wasn't a fresh start, but um, in terms of what the process has been like, it's been uh, up and down. Uh, that's how we like to say it's uh, you know it's crazy one week it's everything's fantastic the next week you know it's looking quite quite dreary and um, so it's up and down but you know you got you have to embrace that and that's what we try to do over here we have a great team so talk about branding how so the branding what we what we've been trying to do is so we're in a we're in a market that um you know, the, our competitors aren't necessarily as digital as we, as we try to be. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to really, um, on a digital scale, get in front of as many dentists and optometrists throughout the country um, by using Facebook, LinkedIn, and um, mainly, honestly, more Facebook than LinkedIn ads because of the cost per click, and at least that we're seeing right now, is much better on the Facebook side than on LinkedIn. But um, what we try to do is we try to take a completely digital approach to marketing in an industry that really hasn't been um, exposed to that based on what, we, what we've been seeing. And um, so from a brand perspective, we're just trying to get in front of as many young people as possible right now with the intention of sticking around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Wow, because a lot of times aren't these um, transitions where there's a younger doctor purchasing from an older doctor or a doctor who wants to retire or at least wants to work part-time. Yeah, exactly. So in, in the industry, you know, um, any, what we're trying, the way we try to separate ourselves is by having the most potential buyers out of any brokerage in the country for you. And by, we do that by being able to get in front of, because someone buying the practice, you were right, exactly, Kimberly. They're between oftentimes 30 to 40. There and, the, and then the person selling the practice is usually 60 to 75. And so it's an interesting industry because, you know, our client is between the ages of 60 and 75. But to service that client, we have to be able to touch people between the ages of 30 and 40. And we have to be able to touch them at, at scale on both sides. So we have to take two different marketing approaches to get in front of each um, individual. Exactly. So I would think you might even have to be on Instagram or something to get to those younger people. But um, I, 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 I'm more in the middle of both of those groups and I, I'm still a Facebook person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it'd be mm -hmm. different marketing for each group. You, you want to know what's funny, Kimberly? Um, for, for the, um, not the older, older group, but the the group of that we try to service between 60 and 75. Um, we get in touch with them a lot of the times by actual, you know, old fashioned mail, you know, they still open up the mail and they read it. And uh, what we try to do is we do a lot of testimonials via mail mm -hmm. with name. We get the person's, um, you know, approval to use their name. And then we send it to all the doctors in the area and um, by mail, and we've been getting a lot of success doing it that way. So it's all about being able to differentiate between the markets. That's one thing that I'm learning firsthand here. 
And that makes total sense to me. In fact, I've thought of that. And, you know, recently I'm thinking, you know, nobody gets a letter anymore. We hardly get anything in the mail except for maybe the coupons for every week. (laughs) (laughs) But we hardly get anything. Or if if you're going towards my age group, they're trying to send you all these retire these big postcards with places you can retire. You know, here oh. buy land up in the mountains. You know, <laughs> for okay. getting getting that. So besides that, you know, people aren't getting much in the mail. So when you actually get something in the mail, and especially if it's pers- personalized to the person, they're gonna open it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we try to do. And, um, and it's, that's funny about the retirement mail. Um, you know, I haven't gotten that yet. So <laughs> you probably won't for a while. <laughs> Good. All right. but yeah. Yeah. It's very funny. So um, talk about the process that your company goes through when you're um, transitioning people. Yeah. So it's an, it's an interesting process that, you know, I touched on. Um, what we do is we kind of, our initial contact with someone looking to sell their practices, uh, we offer them a free evaluation and then we kind of tell them how much we think it's worth. Um, based on that, they either want to work with us or they don't usually. Um, then from there we go to market. Um, the thing with the industry is, um, everything has to be confidential. So like we have to market in a cryptic way. Anyone who wants to potentially purchase a practice, they have to sign a non-disclosure before they even know what town it's in, never mind the doctor's name. Because the reason for that being, like imagine, imagine you were going to the dentist and then you heard that they might be selling it. Hmm. You'd probably, you'd consider going to it. You'd be like, you'd ask your friend, oh, where do you go to the dentist, by the way? I guess my dentist is selling it. So that's why we call it a transition because it has to be an old whole art form to it. And that's where our experience comes in. But you have to find a buyer and then, you know, they, they, they close on a specific day, you know, and then the, the bill of sale is transferred. But in terms of the, the doctor who sells it, we oftentimes have them stay on for six months to a year, working like one or two days a week, introducing the patient. Hey, this is Dr. Joe Smith. He's going to take care of you today. And then the next time and the next time and the next time, it, it just slowly trickles away. So that's the art form of it. So we put our value, we give them a number, we go to market, we find a buyer, then we help with the um, like closing of the deal. We create an uh, offer and acceptance agreement. Um, then you create a purchase and sales agreement and you kind of close it like a real estate deal. I don't want to get too, too technical and bore everybody out there. So uh, you got to cut me off if I start jibber jabbering over here. Mm-hmm. But um, that's really what it is. So how do you assess the, um, the what a, of practice is worth yeah so what you do is it's actually interesting because um, when you evaluate a practice it's different from like real estate or kind of um, pretty much anything else is it's a screenshot uh, not as yeah not, not a screenshot but you kind of uh, it is it's a three-year you evaluate it based on three years so it's really it's a really volatile valuation because mm-hmm. if let's say a practice was doing two million in sales in 2015, but now they're only doing 500,000, that 2 million doesn't mean anything. And uh, so what you do is you take the look at the last three years of tax returns and you wait each year. Um, the most recent year is weighted most heavily, then second year goes down, previous year goes down. Um, 
From there, you put it through, we put it through a three different valuation metrics on our end. Uh, we do a summation of assets valuation, gross multiplier valuation, and then an excess earnings valuation. And um, from that, we kind of like, it kind of like spits out like a number. And that's really where we kind of work from that number. So um, the thing with the valuations is they take into account like the demographics of an area that plays a major role in it. You know, if the practice is near, like let's say Boston, it's much, much more valuable purely based on numbers and the, the demand for practices than a practice, let's say, um, I don't know, in the middle of Idaho and mm -hmm. <laughs> something like that to put it into perspective for everybody. Um, that's really kind of that, that to answer that question. So your rural areas are not going to be as valuable as the ones in like towards a big city. Exactly. You know, it's all about having um, a lot of people there for patients, one, but then you have more optometrists and dentists who want to live there. And that's crucial because you got to have people who want to be in the area. That, that is true. No, if there's no people in the area, you don't have any patients. So it <laughs> exactly. works very well. And exactly. you look at like the equipment and things like that, because I know I've been in many different practices in optometry. And you go into one and they, you know, they, they just wait until things break. And then they might kind of fix it with something used. And then there's other practices that go in and they have the top everything, you know, everything's brand new. They're always on the cutting edge. So is that taken into consideration when their practices are assessed? Absolutely. So, you know, one I touched on it. I said one of the valuation metrics that we use is the summation of assets valuation. That actually kind of is, um, its main purpose is to put an, uh, a value on the tangible assets. So you, what we do is we actually take a look at all, all the equipment in the entire, uh, entire building and we put it through um, like a depreciation valuation on our end because everything depreciates at um, like, okay, let's say you have a, a hard, like a hard asset that depreciates at a 15 year life, lifetime value. Okay. But then you have a computer that depreciates on a five year lifetime value. So then we, we put each piece of equipment through our um, uh, analysis like that. And then it, we get a value on the actual equipment. Then for optometry practice, we get a value on all the frames. That's kind of how we come up with the summation of assets. So we do incorporate it 100%. Um, so it does play a major role if you have up-to-date equipment. If you're looking to sell a practice, you really want to have up-to-date equipment. That's what, it's really what the buyers are looking for, as we can imagine. Mm -hmm. So now that we're kind of in this um, up-and-down stage with everything happening in the world, and are people staying where they are? Are they still opening to selling and buying practices? Or are they just kind of saying, no, I don't want to make a decision because all this COVID stuff is happening? Well, it's a funny question, really, because, um, you know, we kind of have seen both sides of it. Um, from the buyer side, there are a lot of individuals who are kind of hanging tight right now rather than looking to pursue opportunities. But that's only a, a, like a portion of them. I mean, the other portion of them are looking at the interest rates being so low, mm -hmm. being extraordinarily eager to buy a practice right now with the idea that everything will go back to normal one day. Mm -hmm. um, from the seller side now, 
we see it. We've been seeing a lot of individuals move up their timeline. People who are saying, I'm going to retire three years from now and sell are like, Mm-mm, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not putting on the mask every day. I'm not going in someone's mouth every day because a lot of people are older and they're, they're more rent, they're higher risk individuals. So we're running into that a lot. So we're actually um, incredibly busy <laughs> to, to be honest with you, um, which is good. But um, so yeah, we are definitely seeing uh, the market is, it's reacting to COVID-19. Uh, it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would expect that. Because I mean, I, I know personally people who they didn't come back, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't come back and they don't intend in coming back. And <laughs> just, and just close the door. Some people are just like, I'm done. I'm not going back. Because some of the practices, to be honest with you, we can't sell. They're too small. Mm-hmm. And um you know, we, when we tell someone that often, sometimes they're like, I'm done. You know, I'm not going back. And, uh, you know, but say, some people are, are just much more uh, intimidated by the virus than, than others, I would say. And you can tell when you're talking to them where they kind of where they kind of fall on that um, spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So are you mostly doing everything from home now or from the home office? Are you, or do you have to still go out and travel and assess these practices? So what, yeah, we used to, we haven't been going to put our, um, to put our valuations on them. We don't necessarily have to be, uh, to visit the practice. We, so we're actually, we're based in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we just sold a practice in New Jersey, North Carolina. Um, We have um, Texas right near uh, Cowboys Stadium. That that one was kind of cool. So we, so we can operate throughout the whole country and that's kind of because we have like this digital approach to marketing and, um, the, but the valuation that we do, a lot of it's a, like analysis of numbers. So our demographic study is done by, uh, you know, it's done from here. It's not, we don't need to go there to do it. And then we can get images of the practice and, um, our analysis on in terms of like the value of the real estate. We, if we were to sell the real estate, then we would have an agent go out there. But if we're selling the practice, we don't have to be there. Uh, yeah, but actually, that's a good question. So, some yeah, some practices they're going to own their building, and some practices they're not going to own their building. So, do mm-hmm. you actually do the selling of the building, or you have another party come out and do that? Um, so, Practice Exchange has a real estate arm to our business that we can sell, that we can help sell the real estate. Uh, so yes, we would do that. Um, but we would have an agent, would, we were national in terms of the real, on the real estate side, in terms of people on the ground. Mm-hmm. So we would have someone go and visit the, visit the building. Cause you, in, in real estate, you can't like, in real estate, you can't put a value on a property without going to see it. Um, it's like a rule of thumb, you just can't do it. Um, so that is kind of a, that's kind of how that would work. So we'd have like a, someone go out and see it. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have situations where the doctor wants to buy the practice, but they don't want to buy the building? So you would do it separately and then they would actually be a leaseholder in that building? Oh, all the time. Because a lot of the times these doctors who are selling are like, oh, that's going to be my income. They're going to keep the real estate, have the doctor who buys their practice, pay them rent for the next 10, 15 years. Uh, what we do there, Kimberly, is we try to structure the deal where the buying doctor can have the right of first refusal to um, purchase that real estate. 
because it is, if you're anyone listening and you're ever going to buy a practice, you really do want to buy the real estate because it's just, you have, you have two assets at the end of the day when you look into uh, retire yourself down the line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That makes sense. And mm-hmm. so how are you using the real estate license that you have now? Are you using uh, the practice exchange or you're just going out and doing residential? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, so what the way the practice exchange works is um, the real estate company that we're, that we're kind of hooked up with is called Trust Hill Brokerage. Mm-hmm. And they have real estate agents all throughout the country. Um, so what, we can, what, what I do essentially is I try to find anyone anywhere looking to buy or sell a house. And then I refer them to our agent at the Trust Hill Brokerage. And um, they kind of would help them out. Um, for that's kind of because I don't necessarily spend a lot of time like showing houses and things like that. I kind of have the license more for, um, you know, just to introduce people to uh, to Trust Hill Brokerage, mm-hmm. and um, so that's kind of how that works. But yeah, anybody we can help anybody throughout the country in terms of looking to sell their house. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just to throw that in there too, but um, got it. So, um, just to get more personal what for you gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life Oof. um you know i used to uh you know that's a tougher question than these other ones have been these other <laughs> ones have been easier <laughs> um no i think i would have to say is um probably like being proud of myself so like that would kind of relate to like when i do something that i consider to be um, a, a success, I guess. So like winning is like kind of like a way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of like that would, that feeling like when you're really proud of yourself and you're sitting there smiling, like, like that's probably the, yeah, I guess that would be like when I'm feeling the most fulfilled as I feel good about myself. Yeah, that would be my answer. So what does winning mean to you? Winning, what does winning mean to me? Winning means like, um, you know, it's, so it's like to win, you have to be in a competition, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all about who you're in a competition with. Um, You know, if you study, like I do a lot of, I've done a lot of reading of like, you know, successful people and I listen to a lot of like content from them it's all about being a competition with yourself rather than anybody else. And it's about, you know, mentally getting to that point that that's where you, where you live. And, you know, I'm not going to say I always live there, but so one of like the aspects for me winning is always getting mentally to that point where I'm only competing with myself. And then at that point, you know, go ahead and, you know, beat myself up. I'm going to beat myself, <laughs> not, not beat myself up, but beat myself um, in that, in that uh, aspect of it. So that, Beautiful. So what are some of the um, lessons or wisdom you have taken away from doing all the reading that you do? Um, okay. So, you know, gratitude, um, they, everyone talks about gratitude and it's, and I guess it's because when you're grateful, you're, you're in a, you're in a state of mind that you can kind of accomplish more. Um, it's like, uh, you know, I did a lot. I like Jordan Belfort. I read his book, follow some of his stuff. Um, 
he's all about like state management, being able to change your state. It's like when you're, before you walk into a room, you have like little tricks like that you like, you either like scream or you do, um, you smack yourself in the face. You do something that changes your state. <laughs> and before you walk into that room. I'm just imagining that, hitting yourself in the face. <laughs> yeah, like in the, in the hall. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, in the hallway, you're just sitting there smacks. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's like, you know, it's, but it's a thing, like state management, it's like a whole chapter. Um, that's a decent book. People should read that. <laughs> Well, sounds great. Yeah, my background is in NLP, and we talk a lot about state and changing your state, and just changing your body position can change it. So if you don't want to hit yourself, you could, if you're sitting down, stand up or, okay. <laughs> or move, do some type of bodily movement will help to change your state. Also, just sitting up and putting your shoulders back and looking up will change your state as opposed really? to looking down. So really? think about it. You are, um, when you're kind of sad or depressed, your body is kind of inward like this, kind of all crunched down. And when you feel good, you walk into a room and you're back open. And usually you're looking up. You might not be looking up the ceiling, but you're kind of looking just a little bit above the horizon. And um, it's a, that's a place they call Hakalau. That's also where you get the most intuition and you get um, the most learning. So if you're learning something, you want to be looking at that just above the horizon area. And that changes your state and puts you into the learning state. Really? I, you have me sitting up right now. But um, <laughs> what go. did you call that? Hakalau? Hakalau. It's, I don't know if it's some kind of Indian term or whatever. I learned it from someone else. It's part of NLP. So, um, neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, they talk a lot about, in the uh, neuro-linguistic programming, about changing your state. Okay. I don't really even know what, what, the NL, what that is, to be honest. Okay. Neuro-logistic, whatever well, that is. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a form of uh, processing where you take people through um, a, usually a very brief session where they can um, change their limiting beliefs. So let's say you have a limiting belief that, um, oh, I will never graduate from school. Well, we can take that and within a few minutes help to change that belief so that they feel like, oh yeah, I, can, I do feel like I can graduate from school now. It's okay. very, very interesting, very powerful. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I can see on that really. reading list. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Writing it down right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if people wanted to get a hold of you, how could they do that? Um, well, they could just go to Google type in practice exchange, um, or they can go to Instagram type in practice exchange, Twitter practice exchange. But, uh, my name's Ryan Kelly 401 on on most of the um, social media forums, mm -hmm. uh, they could, that's how you could find me personally. But um, yeah, practiceexchange.com is where they got to go okay. to kind of get a hold of us. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for you know showing us how to buy or sell a practice because I know there's a, people out there, a lot of people in transition right now. Yes. Thank you so much. Hey, no, thank, well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And, um, and I, now I have some new reading to do. 
and um, I'm looking forward to getting getting to that. Yeah. So I have one last question before we get off the podcast. Um, what is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Um, happiness is a skill we possess, not an object we speak uh, seek. Ah, not an object we seek. So it's all about um, learning to be happy on your own. And uh, once you realize that you're in control of your own happiness, you can kind of, uh, you can go from there. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Hey, well, thank you. You have a great day. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye-bye.